All right, good morning, Mercy Hill. It's great to gather with you. My name's Brad. I'm the lead pastor here, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'd love to say hello to you. We're in a series entitled Summer of Grace, and uh, you guys know we love to study through books of the Bible, just verse by verse, and allow God's Word to inform our lives. But over this summer, we said so many of us would be in and out for vacations and different events that are happening that we wanted to take just a, these few weekends during the summer and just explore some of our favorite passages of God's grace. God's grace is his unmerited favor that's been given to us that changes our very hearts and our minds and transforms us. It's unmerited because there's nothing that we can do to earn it. And it's freely given to us because of Jesus' work on the cross in which we have been declared, redeemed, and forgiven. And so we've been looking as we've had different teachers throughout the summer at some of their very favorite passages, exploring God's grace and being reminded of God's grace. And um, when we first kind of set this series up, one of the first ideas that popped in my mind was the fact that we have to teach on Sabbath. Because Sabbath is God's grace that is given to us. But before we do that, uh, I want to hear from you guys. And I, I know that some of you probably grew up and mom was constantly poking you with the elbow saying, stop talking in church. Mom was a little ill-informed of her theology if she said that because you actually aren't talking in church. You are the church. And so if your mom's here today, you can talk with her about that later. But what I would love for you to do is turn to a neighbor who is near you, preferably someone that you didn't drive with today. And when you hear the word Sabbath, what comes into your mind? Share with them, when you hear this word Sabbath, and if this is just way too weird for you, like if it's your very first time here... The coffee's to your left. Just feel free to just kind of, or hey, if you got, smoke them if you got them. The door's behind you. But we're going to, for like one minute, share Sabbath. What comes to mind when you hear the word Sabbath? Go. All right. Well, clearly we're in the religious South. I mean, there's a lot that, was, that needed to be said there. You guys weren't short for words. I want to hear, um, you don't have to maybe share what you shared, but if, what word came to mind as you hear the word Sabbath? What did you hear from people around you? Nap. Nap. Disc golf. Disc golf. There's no right or wrong here. This is what you heard. What comes to mind when you hear the word Sabbath? On the seventh day of creation, God stretched out his hammock, had his fast between beasts, and just delighted in his creation. Yeah, that's definitely the message version. Thank you, Paul. <clears throat> that's good. <clears throat> All right, so here's what I would like you to do. I realize this is going to be impossible, but for a moment, this 
happening, I want to ask you if everything you just heard and described, if you could just lay all of your filters and all of that past knowledge aside, and if you could just learn this morning as if you're a brand new believer and it's your first time gathering with other Christians and you're hearing about Sabbath for the very first time. Because for me, Sabbath is very personal. Solomon said he can do that. Thumbs up. I like that. For me, Sabbath is very personal. Um, many of you know the, our family's story. We like to do everything fast, it would seem. Um, Katie and I got married a week after I graduated from college. The day that she finished her finals at Sanford University in Birmingham, we loaded up a truck and came here to go to seminary. Um, we had a child. We were pregnant with Riley a, a year later. And I think I was, she was 20 when we got married and I was 22. And, and we were busy serving in churches. And then um, I finished seminary and we were on staff at a church that grew to about 1,003 years. And I was a small groups pastor and that was really just blowing and going. And then we moved to Nashville for four years and planted a church. And I co-pastored along with a friend of mine. And then we moved back here in 2011. And about year two or three, I reached a point in which life couldn't be any better seemingly. I had known for the last 10 years that God was calling me to plant a church and I'd been working with church plants and I'm finally doing it in an area of town that I just love where there was great need. Midtown was like probably 2 to 5% church. There was a huge need for churches here. Um, we've got a core group. We're making disciples. Like what could be better? But I noticed on every Monday morning about 2 to 3 years into this church plant I noticed that what could be better? Well, what could be better is I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Like, I love everything I'm doing, but it's just too much. And some of that was my own fault, and some of it was the work, and some of it was the emotional load that I was carrying. But I would wake up on Monday morning and go, I love all this stuff, but I don't know if I want to keep doing it. And I discovered through... Eugene Peterson and others, this idea that God has given to us called Sabbath. And I discovered it in a new way than what I had really understood it as a child. I discovered it as a gift. As a gift from God that's given to us. We need this gift. You need this gift more than you realize. We're a very fractured people we don't understand. We, don't, we no longer really have a home. We move around constantly. We change careers. We're no longer grounded as a society. And I just want to just remind you where we are in time to help you to understand how much you need Sabbath. And then we're going to jump into this text. Um, if you think about where we are in time, I want you to think back to some different ages. So there was the agricultural age, and it only lasted for... I mean, biblically, we can track it for a good 4,000 years. And so everybody was a farmer, and you farmed. That's what you did. And so everyone survived on that Hebrew day planner. You know how the Hebrew day planner works? Well, you work when it's light, and you rest when it's dark. You know, so you pull everybody together, and maybe you have a family meal and some conversation, but not for too long because you're burning literally the oil of a lamp and so you you lay down and you're tired and by the way 
very few people had to take anything in order to go to sleep. Because they had been so busy working all day. The Hebrew day planner. Well, then only about 200 to 250 years ago, depending on how you track it, the industrial age came to be. And all of a sudden, you no longer had to do what your grandfather did and what his father and grandfather did. But you could have a whole new career. And people began moving to the cities and not just a rural life. And everything began to change. It's funny. During this time, um, someone testified before Congress and uh, they said, I, I tried to go back and find the quote, I couldn't find it, but, but I remember it well. They testified before Congress and said the greatest challenge of the American culture would be what to do with all the free time. Because they predicted that our work weeks would be only 15 to 20 hours a week. Because we were moving to the technological age. And we've only been here about 50 years. Now I just want you to look, 4,000 years, 250 years, 50 years. Now, the iPhone has only been with us a little over a decade, but we carry these computers around that are powerful devices, and I'm a big fan of them. But we also need to know that there are some real downsides to this. I mean, there's more technology here than NASA had in my hand when they sent a man to the moon. This is a powerful device. Don't underestimate how much it is changing you. And we think as a society that the more options we have, the more apps that are available, the easier life will become. But it's not the truth. Scientists have proven that I can take you to an old country store that has three flavors of ice cream, vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate. It's very easy to decide. If you have any sense, you get two scoops of chocolate. If you're just thinking about, like, you just need to change things up a little, you go chocolate on the bottom, strawberry on the top, right? Because you always have to end with chocolate. You never touch vanilla. That's easy. We all know this, right? If I take you to Baskin-Robbins, do you know what instantly happens? You're given 31 different flavors. And instantly, when you walk in the door, you become sad because you realize that you're not going to get to enjoy everything, that you're going to miss out and then you become anxious because at that moment you have to decide which flavor do I get. And then you become overwhelmed because you might not get the best flavor. And there's like four flavors of chocolate. We think that technology is the be-all, end-all, will help us. The truth of the matter is this. God has given us Sabbath. And Sabbath is, is a boundary that God has given to his children because he knows us and he loves us. And whenever you see a parent who parents their child without boundaries, you look at that parent and you say, you don't truly love that child because you are willing to let that child run into the street, stay up all night. That's not love. God loves us. He has given us a boundary with Sabbath, and I believe that it's a gift. That it keeps us safe. But the problem is this. We view Sabbath, and we're going to see this in the text, as a, we view it as a religious rule. Most of us viewed it as rules as we were growing up, like things to do and not to do, as if it would make us holy, instead of seeing Sabbath as a gift from God to bring us into two things. To bring us into rest and into relationship with Him. And so here's my goal today. I'm not usually this clear, 
in where I'm headed or in an application point. But here's my goal today is to convince you to intentionally establish a weekly rhythm in which you move from running to resting by cultivating Sabbath in your life. Because here's what you're going to find, by the way. Spoiler alert. If you cultivate Sabbath, you're going to see that God is going to begin to transform your heart and your life in other areas from running to resting, not just one day a week, but daily, weekly, seasonally, even annually. So let's jump into this text and see what Jesus has to teach us because no one, listen to me, no one did Sabbath better than Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, it's a pretty familiar story. Um, And... Ben just read it to us. On any ordinary day, what Jesus and his disciples were doing would have been fine. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 25 tells us that if you're walking through a grain field, you're fine. If you're hungry and you don't have any food, you're fine to pluck the grain and eat it. It goes on to say that you you cannot put a sickle to the grain and steal it. And so what Jesus and his disciples were doing was completely fine, but because this was being done on the Sabbath... Literally, there were thousands of petty laws that had been established throughout the oral tradition. Not what God had given, but throughout the oral tradition. In fact, there were 39 different classifications of work that had been developed throughout the oral tradition. And within this, we see it's really a great example of what happens when man tries to legislate his way to God, which is going to be the natural inclination of our hearts instead of depending on God's mercy. And so Jesus just kind of begins to unpack, like, to make a case, if you will, for himself against the Pharisees. Because they're saying, hey, what you're doing is unlawful. And Jesus says, hey, back, back it up. Remember, remember that story in the Old Testament where David, uh, where he goes to the priest? And we recently studied this just a few weeks ago in our series on the life of David, if you'll remember. And David is running from King Saul, and he's desperate. He's, he's leaving, and he's headed toward the enemy. And on his way out, he grabs what? He grabs all of the bread that was known there as the bread of the presence. And it would be put out 12 loaves each week, and it was only to be eaten by the priests. And Jesus reminds the Pharisees, do you remember that God had mercy on David, that God didn't strike David down in that moment, in that moment of need, as he ate the bread of the presence? And then he goes on, and in verse 27, he unpacks a statement that for me, for years and years and years, I didn't get it. And it just sounded like a Chinese proverb or something like, hmm, go and think on that. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Huh, what a cool turn of the phrase, Jesus. What does that mean? The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Hebrew word for Sabbath means to cease or desist. In order... In order to understand it, I want to just quickly look at like what it meant in the Old Testament, what the understanding was pre-sin, like where did it come from? What was the Old Testament understanding post-sin? And then what was the New Testament understanding of Sabbath? So unpack it really quick. The origin of Sabbath, we find it back in Genesis chapter 2 in verses 1 through 3. I'm not going to read through those verses, but if you go back and you read those, you see that that God rested. It's what Paul described earlier when, I like that Paul, when he said, God strung up his hammock, 
he got, I don't remember, lemonade or sweet tea, and he rested. That's a good picture. And, and the question is, why? Do you think God was tired? Do you think he needed to sleep? Did he need to rest? The answer is absolutely not. God didn't need to rest. God's always working, 24-7. What we would consider 365 and one-quarter days of the year, that God never grows tired. He never grows weary. He's sustaining the universe by his very existence. Not to mention that time doesn't really mean anything to God because God created time. Um, but So what was God resting from? He was resting from the fact that he was resting from creation, that creation was now completed. Sabbath wasn't created as rules in order for us to earn God's favor. It wasn't created so in order that we could be more holy. It's amazing how often in the church we teach that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But then if we are not careful, we act like we sustain our salvation by good works, which is a whole different gospel. And Paul would have a lot to say about that. And so as we think about Sabbath, God gave us Sabbath before sin entered the world. We were already in relationship with God. So there was no falling out of relationship. There was no brokenness. There was no unholiness that needed to be resolved. Sabbath was given to us as a gift, as a reminder that we are more than what we do, that we were created for communion with God, for worship. Not just one day of the week, but seven days of the week. And so the Old Testament understanding pre-sin is that God set this example for us. Then when you look at the Old Testament understanding post-sin, remember, Sabbath means the Hebrew word to, to cease or desist. It was a day for the people of Israel from Friday evening until Saturday evening when all work stopped. And it was primarily practiced after the exodus from Egypt. Now think about that from a biblical timeline perspective. We see in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, these commands that are given for Sabbath to Adam and Eve. And then Sabbath doesn't really show back up that much in the scriptures until after the children of Israel have been in slavery for 400 years. And what do they need? They need to know how to worship God how to treat one another, how to live as a society where they haven't governed themselves. They don't even know how to rest. They've been working seven days a week. Now, usually I'll, I'll mention a passage of Scripture and say, just listen. I actually want you to turn here. Exodus chapter 20. Turn here. Take a moment. Exodus 20. I want you to see this with your eyes. Verses 8 through 11. I want you to notice the amount of instruction that God gives. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Man, everybody's resting. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now look, look underneath. Do you see how much instruction God just gave about Sabbath? And then underneath it's like, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. 
we need instruction on the Sabbath. Like God knew that the natural inclination of our hearts will be to prove that we are what we do, which is not at all the case. It would find our, our worth and our value purely in our work. And it's a danger, especially for those of us who are here in American culture. I mean, God gives this amount of instruction because these were slaves, 400 years of slavery. These were slaves who did not know how to rest. And many of us as Americans are slaves to a culture that does not know how to rest because the American culture says the answer is always more. Now think about the New Testament understanding of Sabbath. It's in light of the cross. The Sabbath is a joyful reminder of redemption. I mean, it was such a joyful reminder that those who um, were followers of Jesus, you know, they, they maybe still went for a while and worshipped uh, there in the temple on Saturday, but then they gathered on Sunday. It was such a joyful reminder of Jesus' redemption and His resurrection. And it was a reminder not only to them, but to us that we can rest because of the finished work of Jesus. Because of the, it's a reminder to us each day as we rest that there is an eternal rest that is to come. That we can look forward to. And as you start to get older, and I'm not that old, by the way. I'm going to turn 43 uh, in a couple months. But when you cross that 40 threshold, you start looking, and your parents are getting older and you're beginning to start to care for them some, and you look and you see, I probably lived half of what I'm going to live. And there's some things that are inviting about that rest. That last step in which God invites us by His grace to trust Him more than we've ever trusted Him before, and when we literally step into His presence in which we will be with Him for eternity. As our bodies begin to break down and they don't work the way that they used to, we think about a rest that is to come. Now, as you think about those different understandings of Sabbath, I just want to get really practical in asking the question, how do you move from running to resting? How do we as a people move from running to resting? And I want to say that those who need to rest the most are usually the people who can't imagine how they would ever find space in their life or room in their calendar to rest. So I just want to point a few of you out. Moms of little ones. Moms of little ones need to rest and need Sabbath almost more than anyone. Because moms of little ones, if they are not careful, will lose their identity. They lose their grounding. They begin to think that all they are are diaper changers. Or it's always time to feed the baby. And I'm going to be tired for the rest of my life. Moms need to rest. Moms of little ones must have, and this doesn't come from me. This comes from mentors of mine who are now, have seen their wives raise their kids. And now they're seeing their grandkids raise their, their own kids. And they've been in ministry for four decades. And they repeat over and over and over again. Moms of little ones must have at least a four-hour-a-week block of time in which they are responsible for no one except themselves. No babies allowed. 
a four-hour block every week. They can be alone or they can be with their friends. It's up to them. They can put on their yoga pants or they can go get dressed up and put on makeup, but they need four hours a week in which they can be reminded. And when I hear them say that, they're saying it from a counseling and psychological perspective, but when I hear them say that, I'm thinking to myself, that's Sabbath. Like God knew that. Some of you... Um, who don't have little ones, but I'm just gonna, I'm picking on moms this morning. Uh, others who need Sabbath are moms who are homeschooling. And I know that we don't have maybe a lot of those who are homeschooling, but man, if you are homeschooling your kids, that is a calling that no mom would ever choose, right? I mean, if you're not called to homeschool, don't do it. <clears throat> you're gonna destroy your kids. But if God's called to homeschool, you need Sabbath. You need that rest. Because be very careful If you're homeschooling your kids, you can easily get your calling and your compulsions mixed up. And in that moment, you will turn your kid, it'll become a pressure cooker. Because if you get your calling and your compulsions mixed up, you're going to put all your identity into your kids and what they're accomplishing. And that's a heavy weight for your kids to bear. First responders need rest. First responders, teachers, those of us who are in ministry... Say, why do you you guys need rest? Because our work is never done. And it's very weighty. Because it's people-oriented. So we need time to remember that I am dust and God is God. I am more than what I do. And my significance is found not in what I do, but in who I am. Which is that I am a son or daughter of God. That I'm forgiven and I'm justified and I'm dearly loved. Now you guys, you you hear that and I don't care how much you know that the scriptures declare this. Listen to me. It is through silence and solitude and rest that we experience God's grace. It's in those rhythms that we learn to hear God's voice through the scriptures to meditate on his voice and on his truths and to look at our circumstances in light of them and then to hear the Spirit's quiet voice. And it's in these rhythms of Sabbath and rest that we move from knowledge to communion. And so I would encourage you to think about what does rest look like, not just from a weekly perspective, but even... Hey, what does rest look like from a daily perspective? What does it look like from a seasonal perspective, from an annual perspective? Now, why don't we do this? Like, it's pretty simple. It goes all the way back to Genesis 2. Israel gets, like, all thrown into slavery for 400 years, and then God takes the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, how many of those have we thrown out and said we're willing to establish a society without, without one of them? None. Like, we still think it's a good idea that when a man comes home from work, work, that his wife is still his wife. Like, we still think that's a good idea. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Like, we still think it's a good idea that we don't lie to one another. Like, we still think it's a good idea that, that we don't leave here and murder one another. Pretty simple stuff, right? Just basic for a society to know how to live. Why do we think that Sabbath is so unimportant? Because it's one of those ten. And the answer is very simply, 
if we don't honor Sabbath in our lives, then we believe in some twisted sort of way that we are God. That we are creator, that we are sustainer, that we are provider, that we have the energy that it takes, that we know what's best, that we're living at an unnatural pace, but we think that we can sustain that. God talked about this a lot in the Old Testament. I want to I mention two scriptures, and then I'm just going to end with some really practical things for you. But listen to this. In Isaiah 58, tell me if this doesn't sound like our society. I'm just going to summarize it for you. You can read it later today. Isaiah 58. The prophet addressed the dark side of human nature and warned those who treated the Sabbath day more as a holiday than a holy day, a day for self-indulgence rather than delighting in the Lord. What does our society today call Sunday? Sunday what day? Sunday fun day. It's just a day to have fun. Go do whatever you want to do. And we're going to talk about Sabbath. You should have some fun. You should. But if you don't honor the Lord in the way that you think about fun, you're just going to add more and more, and you're going to find yourself burned out, and you're going to find yourself believing that you're a creator and that you're a God. Listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 17. In verses 24 and 25, he's essentially God promises that the kings will sit on David's throne and that Jerusalem will never be destroyed if the people of Judah do one thing. If they keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work on it. Sounds like God thought that was a big deal, doesn't it? Now, that makes the Sabbath very significant. God was saying the people of Israel, but in that, was he saying that they could earn his favor? Like if you uphold the Sabbath for all your days, then David will always reign and Israel will always be my people. Was he saying that you can earn my favor? No, not at all. That's, we're going back to rules and regulations, all the should and that we ought to do, right? No, that's not what God's saying. Instead, God was pointing to the fact that how we cultivate Sabbath in our lives determines whether or not relationship with Him is a priority. Because don't think for a minute that if you don't honor the Sabbath enough to show up at a corporate Sunday gathering, don't think for a minute that you're going to honor God on Monday morning. Like, don't think for a minute that you're going to acknowledge God in your day on Tuesday. Don't think for a minute that you're going to consider how you're spending your finances and what you're doing with your time on Wednesday. If you don't honor the Lord on the Sabbath, then it's going to show up all throughout your week. And I think that's what God's pointing to. Now, very simply, how do we do this? How do we slow down and move from running to resting? Because Sabbath is about two things. I want to be really clear about this. Sabbath is about rest and relationship with God. Because some of us think Sabbath just means I just take a nap. And while that could be involved in our Sabbath, that's not all of what it means that we would honor the Sabbath. And so the first thing that I would say would be choose a day. Like, we live in a day and time in which you may not be able to make Sunday your Sabbath. Um, some of you have work schedules in which 
you're constantly rotating what your vacation day is. But begin by choosing a day. Actually, don't practice Sabbath on Sunday. Uh, Sunday is a work day for me. I usually start about 7 a.m. Um, I'm looking at my sermon. I'm getting ready for the day. And I usually work throughout the day until about 5. And so it's not a work day for me. But I work Sunday through Thursday. And so Sunday is my Monday. And so Friday and Saturday, I'm taking off work. And Friday, I'm like cutting the grass and getting all the stuff wrapped up and buttoned up from work the week before. And Saturday is my Sabbath when I can rest. For some of you, you say, this is just completely unrealistic. This is crazy. There's no way that I could rest for a day. Well, then consider maybe just three or four or five hours that you would take and you would say, I'm going to set aside this block of time and I'm going to honor this block of time and call this Sabbath. So choose a day, but secondly, plan your time. And one of the things that I would say after about five or six years of really like seeing this in my life is not just something that I need to do or should do or ought to do, but something that's a gift. Um, One of the things that, that I've learned is start with what you don't do. So don't do your weekly shopping. Like don't go to the grocery store and spend two hours planning meals. Don't do big projects in the yard. So I know that we've talked before and we've said that, like, what does it mean to rest? And we've said that some of those who work with their hands should rest with their minds. And some of those who work with their minds should rest with their hands. And while that's a valuable idea, anything that, you know, don't save if you're mowing the grass. Don't save that for your Sabbath. You don't need to get out and and just be exhausted two or three hours later. I'm not saying you can't mow the grass. Don't hear that. I'm just saying don't do big projects that when you get done, you're going to be exhausted. Schedule some things in advance or say not right now. So for me, um, Saturday is, is a time that's blocked off in which, man, if you want me, Friday night's good and Sunday all day's good. But So that means there are things that I'm just going to say, hey, I can't do it during this particular time of the day, which means you're probably going to have to do your shopping on Saturday, not Sunday. So consider that. You're going to have to plan for this. And then thirdly, do some things you normally wouldn't do. For instance, if you have kids and you work outside the home uh, and you're not with your kids during the day, then spend some time playing with your kids. Like do the opposite of what you would do during your work week. Set your phones aside unplug from hurry and just the frenetic pace of life. And when I say unplug, I don't just mean email. I mean, get off Instagram and Facebook. Like we get, do you realize how much of your time you give to other people and their drama that you would never give to them face to face? You wouldn't even be in the same room with some of these individuals and you give them your space and your time and your resources on this little device. Like, unplug from it for a while. I guarantee you'll be a lot happier. You want to know why? Because when you get on Instagram and Facebook this time of the year, you instantly become sad. You know why you're sad? Because you're not in the Bahamas. And your friend is. And then you know where you go from sad? Jealous and envious and all the things that are wrong with your life and ungrateful. Unplug. We live in a really frenetic pace in our lives. 
But th- so choose a day, plan your time. And as you plan your time, do some things you wouldn't normally do. Do some things you love to do. Katie and I love to go for a walk, just where we can talk. Um, we, sometimes we do take a nap. If you look at the Hebrews, one of the things that they did in the Old Testament was they would enjoy a good meal on the Sabbath. If you see Jesus laying down at a meal, it was oftentimes at a holiday or at Sabbath. They, they kind of brought everything out big time. Maybe spend some time reading a book. But thirdly, choose a day, plan your time. And thirdly, don't compare yourself to others. Let me say this. We are all in different seasons of life. And one of the reasons why some of you will say, I can't do Sabbath, is because you'll say, well, you'll compare your schedule to mine. And then you'll compare where you are in your stage of life to mine, and you'll say it's different. Absolutely, it's different. We're all in different stages of life. And everyone is hard. If you're single, it's difficult. Because single adults are the most selfish people in the world. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't say that to hurt your feelings. It's just the truth. You don't have anyone to remind you that you need to serve them. You have more time than anyone else, which means you fill it all up and say you have none. Every pastor knows this. You don't find single adults to serve in the church. You find married people who have kids because they're used to serving their kids and they're just in this serve mode. And it's, it's really unhealthy, but we do it because we're just trying to get things done too often times. It's hard to be single. You don't have boundaries. You've got all this freedom. And so it's tough to practice Sabbath if you're single. It's tough to practice Sabbath if you're married. It's tough to practice Sabbath if you're married without kids. Because uh, it's tough if you're married with kids. Because then you're going, when I get like 30-minute Sabbath when they're supposed to be taking a nap and they're in there like jumping all around, you know, top roping each other off the bunk bed. And like, how does this even work? And then you're like, but you know what? Teenagers is a whole different kind of stage of parenting as well and I've never met a parent with a teenager that said oh this is like the easiest stage of life but you know what from what my friends say when their teenagers leave the home it's time to start taking care of mom and dad and helping them with some of their needs and so that's not a real easy stage either so it's kind of like hey if I'm going to compare myself with everyone else or what would it be like if I just said no maybe this is a gift that God's given to me and man, Jesus, Jesus practiced Sabbath better than anyone else. One caveat before we end. A key to a successful Sabbath is actually working hard six days during the week. And some of you don't have time for Sabbath because you spend so much time unfocused at work. You have to plan for Sabbath. If you want to plan for your calendar, you realize this. If you want a vacation, you have to plan at least three months in advance. If you want to do, I'm just talking about like a weekend trip. You got kids, they got schedules. If you want to claim your time, you have to plan at least three months in advance, maybe six months. And so it means you got to make this a priority. And so for some of you, it means you might not be able to like roll right into this next week. Like it might take some time. So just start small. But work six days so that you can rest for one day. How would it affect our lives, our families, our church, 
if we begin to set a regular rhythm of resting and reconnecting with God each Sunday or whenever you can. Sabbath is more than simply corporate worship. Sabbath is resting in such a way that we're drawn deeper into relationship, into communion with God. Sabbath is a rhythm I believe it has the ability to encourage us to see the importance of taking time to rest and commune with God. And if we do it on a weekly basis, I think it won't be long before we'll be reminded of what, what would it look, would look like to do that on a daily basis. Jesus, I just want to remind us of something. Uh, ben and I have talked about this frequently, and he reminded me of this last week. Jesus never moved more than about three miles per hour as best we can tell. And he seemed to accomplish everything the Father had for him. I know there were a couple times where he like seemed to disappear from one place and show up somewhere else, but outside of those moments, he never seemed to move more than about three miles per hour. And he was rarely hurried. And think about this for a moment. We don't have this recorded in the scriptures, but he regularly had to tell the next leper in line, sorry, I'll done. Not going to heal you today. And can you imagine the discipline that Jesus had to have? I believe regularly he had to tell the next leper in line, sorry, all done. Not going to heal everybody today. Jesus embraced his limits, which is something that we oftentimes don't do. We live life as if we are unlimited. It's not true. Jesus embraced his limits. And he calls each of us to live realistic lives. Realistic lives in which we see the importance of rest and communion with him. Realistic lives in which we eat and sleep and work and rest and recreate. All in worship, not in haste. And Sabbath helps us to frame that. As to what that could look like. May we, by God's grace, embrace our limits in order that we might slow down. That we might slow down enough to be with ourselves. Let me say that one more time. May we, by God's grace, embrace our limits in order that we might slow down enough to be with ourselves. And that as we come to know ourselves as Augustine and Calvin and so many others knew to be true, as we come to know ourselves, that we might come to know God, to grow deeper in our relationship with Him. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift, even Jesus. And because of Jesus, thanks be to God for Sabbath. Let's pray.